and this might be a little bit TMI for our listeners, but I'm really allergic to mosquitoes, and I feel like I'm also really attractive to mosquitoes. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It is Thursday, February 4th. I'm Tori Stowell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I am flying solo today. My co-hosts Aki Ito and Dan Moss are running around being busy people, but we do have a very special episode for you guys today. It is all about a topic that fills me with dread at the mere mention of it, mosquitoes. And to sort of shed more light on that, we have brought in a super expert as uh, my guest and also sort of co-host for the episode. Um, We have Don Shepard joining us from Brandeis University. He's a health economist who has focused on the control of mosquitoes in his research. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for the uh, invitation to be on the show. I know lots of people who get a few mosquito bites during the summer, whatever, they think they're annoying. And this might be a little bit TMI for our listeners, but I'm really allergic to mosquitoes. And I feel like I'm also really attractive to mosquitoes. Yes. I get bit like no one I know. They terrify me. I have really intense reactions to them. So like anything to do with mosquitoes, I'm not down with. What about you, Don? So um, I don't get too many, frankly, mosquitoes. I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. So I get some. I don't think I have uh, they I don't think I'm allergic to them. They certainly do annoy me when I get them, though. Yeah. So I, uh, I try to avoid them when I can. Yeah, my mom calls it that brown sugar, but I'm not, I'm not sure if she, <laughs> <laughs> she's right about that. Well, yeah. anyways, why are we talking about mosquitoes? It's probably a pretty easy guess that Zika, it's been in the news this week, the World Health Organization declared Zika a global public health emergency. And while they've only deployed that type of warning three times before, this is the latest in a seemingly never-ending series of global health scares. We've had Ebola now, SARS, swine flu, MRSA, the list goes on. And Zika is mostly transmitted through a certain species of mosquito, right? The Am I saying it right? Aedes? Is that how I should yes, say it? Yes, the Aedes aegypti. Uh, is the uh, full name of the mosquito that mostly transmits uh, the Zika virus. Right. And the most common symptoms of Zika are fever, rash, joint pain. And for most people who get sick, the illness is pretty mild. It's not um, a life-threatening injury, but you know, or excuse me, illness, not injury, but health experts are concerned because the people who appear to be at the highest level of risk from Zika are pregnant women. Is that right? Yes. It affects the the woman's fetus. So the thing that's really serious about the Zika virus is the the virus affects the brain of the developing fetus, making the brain and the head uh, smaller, a condition that health experts call microcephaly. Microcephaly, obviously a a big concern here. Uh, The baby is born with unusually small skulls. 
a big worry. And also another another concern here is that there's a lack of vaccines and reliable testing. And in Latin America, where it's spreading rapidly, there's no real immunity in the population because the Americas are being affected for the first time. So what does this have to do with economics? Many of our listeners are probably yes. asking themselves right now. And it's actually kind of a lot, as your research has shown. Um, in many Asian, Latin American, and African countries, mosquitoes and the illnesses they carry come with a huge economic cost. And while we're lucky that that's not as much of a risk here in the U.S., there is research from you that shows that they still significantly reduce our quality of life, so much so that people would be willing to pay a pretty hefty chunk of money to get rid of them. So let's talk more about that, if you don't mind. Sure. So the mosquito that transmits uh, Zika, fortunately, is only on the southern periphery of the United States and occasionally in Hawaii. Mm. But a uh, a close relative of that mosquito that can stand uh, cooler climates uh, is throughout the eastern seaboard uh, or of the United States up through the New York metropolitan area, that one called the Aedes albopictus mosquito, otherwise known as the Asian tiger mosquito. Sounds appropriately terrifying. Yes. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so um, that mosquito uh, first hitchhiked uh, to this country about 30 years ago in used tires that were imported. And the the water and the tires provided a perfect uh, breeding spot. And once the tires uh, reached here, the mosquito has become established and continued to, uh, uh, to breed in the United States. That mosquito... Uh, doesn't carry disease so far in the United States, although it has in other parts of the world, but has proved to be a major nuisance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a daytime biting mosquito and limits people's ability to spend time outdoors. Well, your research uh, suggested that, assuming a person had no budget constraints and got the same amount of satisfaction with every additional hour spent outdoors, a person would be willing to pay almost $1,000 to enjoy their yard activities for a 13-week summer period without mosquitoes. That blew my mind when I read it. Yes. I think I would be willing to pay that. I would probably be willing to pay double (laughs) that. So that economic uh, value of... uh, uh, of what somebody is willing to pay uh, substantially exceeds the the cost that it would take to control the mosquito, suggesting that a, a control effort uh, would be economically worthwhile. Oh, that's In a fact, good point. We uh, we estimated that for each dollar spent on controlling. The economic value in terms of this time and enjoyment released would be eight dollars. So an eight uh, a ratio of eight to one for controlling this mosquito. Yeah, the respondents in in your research rated the importance of enjoying their outdoor activities without mosquitoes comparable to that of neighborhood safety and higher than that of a clean neighborhood. That's right. We uh, we surveyed residents in uh, in New Jersey as part of a demonstration project conducted in collaboration with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and Rutgers University. And uh, as you rightly summarized, found this very high rating of the the nuisance that the mosquito imposed and the value that would people would put on the time uh, free of the Asian tiger mosquito. 
Well, let's take a, a quick break. And when we come back, I want to switch gears back to Zika and really start tallying the economic costs of the healthcare related ones um, and, and many others that are sort of related to the idea of illnesses that mosquitoes bear after we come back from this break. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. So let's talk about the most obvious sort of economic costs associated with mosquitoes, which are the costs associated with the illnesses they carry. Uh, Don, some of your research that you did a few years back looked at the direct and indirect costs of dengue in eight American and Asian countries. And a little more about dengue for our listeners who might not be familiar. It's a mosquito-borne viral infection that causes flu-like illnesses. And if it develops into something severe enough, it can be lethal. There's no real treatment. There's no vaccine to protect against it. And almost half of the world's population is is at risk. Yeah, one one update on the vaccine that's very encouraging. Oh, good. That uh, the vaccine's been a for- formidable scientific uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first vaccine was licensed at the very end of 2015 in three countries. And one of those, the Philippines, has said it plans to start to introduce it into its public program. Oh, wow. So what you said about no vaccine was was uh, correct as of uh, last Thanksgiving, but the situation is now starting to improve. Terrific. Well, Professor Shepard, your research put the collective economic burden of dengue in just those eight countries that you studied at as much as $1.8 billion annually. It's a huge number, and it's for just eight countries. So how did you go about tallying that and arriving at, at that figure? Sure. Uh, say that, and then we've extended it to other countries, too. Mm-hmm. So to get the burden, uh, one first tries to look at one case of dengue illness to understand what the burden is on the healthcare system and the so-called indirect cost is the value of lost time, lost time by uh, a family in which somebody has dengue. Mm-hmm. So our... Um, our studies uh, collaborating with researchers in each of the endemic countries has surveyed patients who experienced dengue to see what medical services they used, the amounts of money that they spent or their family spent out of pocket buying drugs and supplies. And in many cases, they availed themselves of government-run healthcare systems. And we looked at what the government spent to run hospitals and clinics that provided treatment. And this, the, the sum of all of these medical services are what are called the direct costs of dengue. Uh, then we also interviewed people about the time that they lost due to the illness, or if it was a child, particularly the time that other family members uh, lost a 
parent and older sibling uh, having to take care of the child or fill in a task that the that someone else would have done. And so uh, calculating the time lost and the value of that is what's called the indirect cost of dengue illness. Wow. And I liked the stat that was in... Um in your research, I thought it was very insightful. So among hospitalized patients, students lost 5.6 days of school. And for those who were working, people who were working, they lost almost 10 days of work per average dengue episode. This just sounds like a lot. Uh, right. It's a, um, it's a febrile uh, episode, but uh, a nickname for it is bone break fever. I feel wow. fortunate. It's a disease I haven't uh, personally had to experience while it's a febrile illness, it's, uh, it's an extremely uh, uncomfortable uh, illness. So uh, people uh, have an acute part that's uh, typically a couple of weeks, and then about 10% of patients will still experience symptoms several months later, where they may have depression or fatigue as a long-run uh, consequence of this illness. So if we were to sort of zoom out and think broadly about this, because mosquito-borne illnesses, it's not just dengue, it's not just Zika, it's West Nile virus, it's yellow fever, there are more. Yes. I mean, how big do you think the total economic costs associated with mosquitoes and, and the sort of problems that they bring are? Is it, is it even possible to put a number on that? I'm sure it's huge. So dengue is a, is a, a virus. Uh, we've estimated that the global cost of dengue per year is about nine billion U.S. dollars. Uh, other, um, another major mosquito-borne disease is a parasitic uh, illness, malaria. Mm. I don't have a, a dollar figure at my fingertips, but that's probably even larger because of the. Uh, uh, many, many uh, millions of, of uh, cases of illness and death uh, due to malaria. So mosquito-borne illnesses are enormous uh, economic uh, cost, and uh, society would reap enormous benefits if we're able to fully control them. Right. That was a really important question that I wanted to bring up, so I'm glad you brought us there. I mean, would it be possible to just eradicate mosquitoes, just wipe them off the face of the planet? Can we do it? <laughs> so we can dream about that. I think at the moment, I don't believe we have the tools uh, to do that. What sort of um, tools would we need? So one example of a promising uh, product is... Um, a type of insecticide that's called autodispersal, where uh, extremely potent, and the mosquito will get, will you put it in some containers, and then the mosquito will transport that to other breeding sites. Okay. And would then kill the larvae in another breeding site. So that uh, is a technique that's, that's being used at small scales. So far, it isn't perfected to the stage that it uh, can uh, stop all mosquito breeding. But potentially refinement of that uh, might allow us to eliminate mosquitoes. The challenge has been that uh, mosquitoes are more clever than people hunting mosquitoes. So they find very tiny uh, breeding places that the mosquito can find uh, and people trying to control the mosquito haven't yet been able to find. So, uh, so for example, uh, Singapore is the country that's had the most uh, vigorous mosquito control program in the world. 
and for a couple of decades substantially reduced uh, the burden of mosquito-borne illness. So they, um, are they trying to eradicate mosquitoes in Singapore? Is that their goal? They, no. I think, I think they realized that that wasn't feasible. Uh. They were trying to substantially reduce mosquito-borne disease, specifically dengue, by keeping the population of mosquitoes very low. And they, uh, they did keep it low, but they couldn't eliminate them. And the mosquitoes that were there, still there served to transmit uh, diseases. And they were, in Singapore's case, the fact that the people became susceptible uh, to dengue meant that a low level of mosquitoes was still enough to allow uh, very nasty outbreaks of this disease, much like the Zika outbreaks that you spoke about in, uh, in Latin America. So it sounds like they will outlast us on this planet. <laughs> well, at least for the, uh, the next uh, decade or two. Maybe if, if scientists can come up with new control techniques, uh, we'll be successful. I think the control techniques are, are an important thing to think about, too, in the context of climate change. And, and maybe it becomes more urgent to then work on those techniques. Because um, a couple of things that I looked at said that climate change would allow uh, mosquitoes who carry certain illnesses to spread to places where they aren't currently. Like you mentioned, the 80s, um, Egypti is, is in certain states in the deep south, uh, and they can, they can, they've been found farther north, but that's not really their, their home range. It's not really where they do their thing. <laughs> uh, but if we do have climate change and we get warmer climates and, and wetter climates that could allow them to have a wider range... Right. Dengue. Dengue has been one of our failures in public health. Uh, countries that didn't have, um, uh, didn't have mosquitoes or didn't have dengue have had outbreaks. So in South America, uh, Paraguay, for, as an example, um, and Argentina have seen uh, outbreaks in recent years. In the United States, uh, for many decades, we didn't have dengue transmission on the mainland of the United States, but uh, have seen it on the Texas uh, border and in Florida in recent years. So it's climate change is one factor. Uh, movement of people mm, yeah. uh, is another factor. And, the, and so the two, do, the two interact together and have caused uh, this mosquito and the diseases that it carry, unfortunately, to spread. Well, this has been a fascinating topic. Um, I think that it's really easy to sort of think about the economic costs of mosquitoes as just, you know, people getting sick and, and then us having to take care of them and them having to pay to take care of themselves. But I also really liked your points on sort of missing school, missing work. I'm also picturing in my head people sort of swatting mosquitoes out of their faces while they're working. Yeah. Productivity perhaps takes a hit. Right, both uh, both that nuisance and then more importantly from uh, time that people are ill, they may miss work entirely or not be able to work as productively uh, as they would uh, otherwise. One other statistic I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read you in case that's helpful for the show. Yeah. Um, I found the distribution of dengue costs uh -huh. on a global uh, basis. I mentioned the total was about $9 billion U.S. dollars. Globally, per year. yeah. Globally. 
uh, presented in a, a conference that I presented out in Brazil in uh, November. And of that, about 12% of that is the economic loss for cases that prove to be uh, fatal. Ah, uh, that's a really interesting point. Um, 46% are costs of hospitalized uh, non-fatal cases. Uh, 34% are cases that go to clinics and doctors. And then there's also a cost of cases that don't seek medical care at all, but still experience illness. And that's about 8% of the global costs. That's really so interesting. So each of these different settings... Um, uh, imposes a, a cost of um, uh, of dengue uh, that's paid by households, by governments, and by employers. This has been a great conversation. Insightful, yet very scary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Victoria, for the chance to talk today. And thanks to you all for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play, and a few other places. While you're there, as always, we ask you to please take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And do let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tori Stowell. And let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about in future episodes. See you next week. We're proud of our new and growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. In addition to Bloomberg Benchmark, which you're listening to now, don't miss Odd Lots, a deep dive into the intersection of markets, economics, and finance with Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway. There's also Deal of the Week with our mergers and acquisitions reporter Alex Sherman, looking at a breakdown of the biggest deals and giving you an inside peek into corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Check them out and subscribe today. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, Forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X dot com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.